Hello and welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia's podcast. I'm Rhiannon and each week I'll be interviewing women worth listening to and getting them to pass on the six best pieces of advice they've ever been given and the worst piece too. Our guest this week is author Lainey Zumas. We spoke to US writer Lainey when she was visiting London last month about everything from reproductive rights to writing inspiration. We featured her book The Red Clocks on our Shelf Life page when it was released early this year. It tells the story of a group of women in an America where abortion has been outlawed and the novel seems scarily prescient in today's political climate across the pond. Even if you're not familiar with Lainey's novels, she speaks beautifully on a whole host of relatable issues in this episode. So over to Lainey. I'm here with Lainey in uh, London. How are you, Lainey? You're only here for a few days. I'm well, thank you. I'm glad you uh, took some time. We loved your book last year. We put it in our shelf life section. Thank you. uh, The Red Clocks. And we're here to hear your best advice. So let's get straight stuck in because you've got really interesting. You kind of split it into two sections, which I love. So first is about writing, which obviously is your day job. And the second half is more about fertility, which we'll come to later. Okay. So if we start on your writing piece of advice, I'm really interested in this. You've said shut the door behind the character. What does that mean? So the uh, my American editor for Red Clocks, a woman named Lee Boudreaux, who's brilliant, um, she was really able to help me push the book uh, even kind of deeper into the territory it was already going in. And um, she was pointing out that I would put characters in predicaments and then give them easy outs and, you know, come right up to the danger and then shy away from it. And so she said, you have to shut the door behind that character. She moves through, you know, from one place to another. She cannot go back to the place she came from. And mm-hmm. I think that's really good advice for writing in general not in order to make everything super dramatic or uh, like an action thriller but Mm -hmm. more to commit to the choices that you make creatively Um, and so I'm really grateful that that she gave me that advice for this book because I think in revision she helped me make it a stronger book absolutely and the main characters in your book are females so I imagine did you become actually you should explain really in your own words about about what the book's about okay um so it centers around four women in present-day Oregon, mm-hmm. um, and it's in America exactly like the one we actually have, except abortion is no longer legal, mm-hmm. um, and also certain kinds of advanced fertility treatments aren't legal um, anymore. And so these four women are all in different places in their lives. They're very different from one another, but they all get impacted somehow mm-hmm. by the the new laws um, that are in place because of a conservative government that uh, resembles actually the Trump administration. And at what stage? I was I wanted to ask you. It seems you brought it up. At what stage was the book written? In what year? I mean, it was. Are you a soothsayer, or were you following <laughs> what was happening in the news? Um, I'm. I don't think I'm a soothsayer. Um, but I, you know, I started writing it in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, when I when I was researching uh, legislation around abortion and fertility, and I came across something that our current vice president, Mike Pence, uh, some legislation he had been a, in favor of years ago, as had Paul Ryan, who's the Speaker of the House. Um, and it's it was it was and is called the Personhood Amendment, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a call to give rights of a full citizen to. Uh, a fertilized egg, basically a single-celled zygote, and uh, so these lo- these sort of um, 
proposed laws and the politicians who want them have been around for years, but they only recently kind of came to power. Mm. And I think what I'm interested in, uh, before we asked you to talk about the book, is that you, I presume, came to love these women and be interested in their stories. So is that why you weren't shutting doors behind them? You were kind of letting them off sometimes. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I I think it it was um, that sort of feeling of empathy or, oh, oh God, I don't want to fully go mm-hmm. there. Um, and also maybe um, sort of wanting to hedge my bets a little bit mm-hmm. and um, stay in a safer zone. And, and so that's what editors are good for, to take you out of the safety. Yeah. You know. Can we move on to a second piece of advice? Yeah. Do you want to tell, tell people what that is? Um, well, a, a writer I love is Virginia Woolf. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've read her diaries many times. And um, she dealt a lot with her own jealousy and, and envy of other writers and the accolades they got, which mm. is kind of funny to think about now because she's um, herself so famous and beloved. But um, in 1940, when T.S. Eliot had a new uh, major poem out called East Coker, uh, Wolf uh, was listening to a friend of hers talk about how great the poem was. And she wrote in her diary that day, I am I and must follow that furrow, not copy another, end quote. And um, so I actually have that pasted up like above my desk um, because it's so easy to get caught up in what, you know, I'm not doing like, oh, I'm not writing in that style or I'm not Mm. doing this um, and lose sight of what I'm. I actually am doing that's yeah. such a beautiful turn of phrase obviously you expect nothing less from her yeah. but I mean yeah. you can apply that to so many aspects of life not just yeah. writing I think absolutely is, is that something you take into life outside of your writing as well yes um and you know I, I think that something that really hindered me and and caused me a lot of suffering when I was younger and and still today but less so is uh really thinking oh I needed to kind of fit into other people's, Mm -hmm. you know, definitions of what was acceptable, whether that was, um, you know, physically around my weight. I mean, I I definitely when I was younger, my my mom was, you know, constantly telling me like, you have to go on a diet, like you need to be thinner. And um, I don't think she would give me that same advice today. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, she and I have both come a long way. But um, back then, I really did think, you know, my okayness depends on, kind of conforming to a, a fairly conventional, you know, standard of, you know, body size and, mm. and beauty. And, um, and it's so devastating and corrosive, you know, for, you know, any of us or all of us who in whatever way have that sense of, you know, the world isn't made for me as I am, mm-hmm. like, I need to become another, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's not just creatively, it's, um, kind of in any aspect of my life, trying not to get sucked into that, um, also the compare and despair mm-hmm. uh, mode of, of living, yeah. um, which again is you know kind of tempting to get into. Yeah, but. especially as a writer, because I think so much today, there's so many books out there that the industry is so built around accolades yeah. and get this book because it's in Reese Witherspoon's book club, get yeah. this book because it's in, it won Oprah, these awards. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and is it hard for you? Because writing is, you know, mostly just a solitary pursuit sat there by yourself yeah. trying to work it out. Yeah, it is. And it's, um, and I, I really understand why 
many of us as as kind of solitary introverted writers when we when our books come into the world and then we're faced with social media and doing interviews or getting reviews it's um it's both terrifying but also you know there's these shiny objects of oh did you get reviewed in this magazine or yeah. did you you know and um i don't know if i i have any actual wisdom about how to deal with it other than um trying to look at the long arc rather than the short arc of things, you know, because as you know, like in sort of publishing and media, everything's about, you know, what's the new thing? Yeah. What book just came out this Tuesday and what about next Tuesday? Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes as corny as it sounds, I'll look at my bookshelf cause I have some like favorite shelves and I'll say, you know, and I'll think about, okay, that book when it came out in 1931, um, does anyone remember what the reviews were that week? It's yeah. more, am I still reading it today? And mm-hmm. you know, 2018, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to deal with. Mm. I think sometimes. Yeah. Touching on um, the, the way that you write is it's to do with your third piece of advice. Um, and you've said here, get rid of as many conditions as you can. Yeah. Explain what you mean by that. Well, I um, went to a great lecture uh, years ago by a writer named Kate Bernheimer um, who asked everyone in the room to make a list of what do you need in order to write or or in order to feel that you can actually get to your work. And it could be anything from, you know, coffee sitting to the right of my computer to, you know, being in a good mood or not being depressed. Um, And so she had us make these lists. And then she said, cross everything you can off that list and leave as few conditions as possible um, in order to actually give yourself the, the freedom to to get to your work and not feel like, oh, today I, you know, the sky is gray, so I can't write because, um, uh, and, and this too, I think, I mean, it applies to writing, but I think to a lot of um, other areas of life, mm-hmm. that, that notion, I can only be happy if, or mm-hmm. I will be happy once, you know, these three conditions come yeah. into play. And what if we cross those off the list and then just sort of we're in the present moment Mm -hmm. um easier said than done absolutely i'm interested which conditions do you have do you have you let did you leave anything on there or do you try not to have anything um this might sound ridiculous but the the reason i mentioned the coffee is because that actually still is one Mm -hmm. of my conditions um feeling like especially for that first writing session of the day that i have some kind of hot Mm -hmm. caffeinated beverage um and it's been on the list. I've been trying to cross it off, but you know, <laughs> there's something about you know wanting my brain to be at a kind of higher pitch or frequency when I kind yeah. of go into a writing session and not like the lethargy of mid afternoon or something. Yeah. Um, and what is your pro? I'm endlessly fascinated. It's my favorite thing to read about different writers and when they work. You know, do they have eight vodkas and work between two a.m. and four a.m.? What's your <laughs> process? Um, not anymore for me. <laughs> the, the um, So morning or nighttime, um, I think I, I work pretty well um, in both cases. I, I never used to work at night, but, um, you know, five years ago I had my son. And because, you know, with, with him in my life now, um, now I'll wait till maybe seven or eight until mm-hmm. he's gone to bed and then try to kind of wake up myself and um, have a have a couple hours to write but there's something about the quality of um, a quieter time of day when there's you know people aren't bustling around mm-hmm. um, that works 
but also I think my brain kind of shuts down in the afternoon really? in, a, in a strange way. Yeah. Yeah. That's often play. when I teach, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to like, you know, really try to like wake myself up yeah. uh, for the students. But um, <laughs> yeah. What about you? Are you, do you have a pr- time I... of day you really like to? No, I tend, I tend to work best in the mornings, yeah. but on a, a classic journalist deadline. So if something has to be done in 10 minutes, it gets that's done 10 minutes beforehand and that's it. It can't right. start beforehand. Yeah. Right. I think that's a lot of journalists for you. <laughs> I'd be terrible at writing a book. I'd be trying to do it all in a week at the right. end. Yeah. Uh, we're going to move on to the second half of your advice. Uh-huh. You spoke then about your son. Mm. Uh, fertility is obviously in the subject of your book. Yeah. But in your personal life as well, it was something that you, you kind of battled with, I believe. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one of the reasons I started writing Red Clocks, um, it, it started out more as a sort of strange personal lyric essay about um, my um, anxieties and fears and hopes around uh, the idea of motherhood and, and becoming a mother because I um, I had a lot of issues with infertility. And um, so back in 2010, I was just, you know, I, I think I had like come back from a doctor's appointment and was feeling really frustrated about um, just the kind of medicalization of the process and not um, wanting that to be true, you know, and I just thought, okay, how can I, you know, find some productive channel for my rage and despair. (laughs) And um, so I started writing about it, and it wasn't working as an essay. And so uh, I sort of made a character and and she became Ro, the biographer character in, in Red Clocks, who is um, in her early forties and, and happily single, but, uh, wanting to have a, have a kid. Mm. Uh, and so that's, that's where it came from. And I really, I've been trying, you know, before this interview to think about certain kinds of advice I got Mm. from other women who had dealt with infertility or, um, you know, probably not doctors because they didn't usually have great advice. Um, uh, but someone I remember did say, um, you know, it only needs to work once. And mm-hmm. there was something about that. I mean, it, it seems so obvious, but, uh, you know, I did I repeated, you know, rounds of um, IUI and IVF uh, before I got pregnant. And there was that sense of Am I just going to be endlessly doing this or, you know, when do I stop and, mm. and look at other options? Um, and there was something kind of grounding and clarifying about it only needs to work once, mm. which also wasn't any kind of guarantee. It wasn't saying, oh, everything will be fine, yeah. you know, um, because I really do believe that, you know, not having a child is is also a, a valid and rich and um, kind of equally available route Mm -hmm. that I could have taken, you know, and I think uh, that's what I would have embraced, Mm -hmm. you know, if, um, if I hadn't gotten pregnant or or adopted a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it only, it only needs to work once obviously was in that situation for you, but I think Mm -hmm. it can be taken across life as well, because a lot of the times you feel like this is the end. No, this is the end. And, And actually, did you, did you feel when it did work for you and did it help ease the pain of those of those other opportunities that had had failed? Or hmm. do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Is it is it what, understanding that at some point this will all be okay? Yeah, no, it, it did help, and it, it. But it also, I, 
I want to always kind of carry with me that time of, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing if something would work out because um, I never want to sort of go to a place of complacency mm-hmm. or, and sort of, oh, everything, you know, I got this one thing and so that's okay. I mean, I don't actually think that's how a person's life works, mm-hmm. you know, that um, that each of us sort of carries a pretty big range of um you know, this worked out this way and this worked out a different way, but actually this way is like, I could have never imagined that being good in my life and it is good. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that's vague, but it's that sort of sense of um, uh, being open to the unexpected and Mm -hmm. and not feeling like you're only gonna accept something that you already thought you wanted. Yeah, I've ticked that, so I'm done kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your fifth piece of advice, explain this to me. Curiosity penetrates fear. Yeah, and, and the, so the, the notion of kind of curiosity, like radical curiosity is something um, I've picked up from, I'm a, I'm a kind of beginner uh, meditator and um, okay. I'm really interested in Buddhism and, yeah. um, and this idea of fear being um, penetrated by by curiosity because fear is aversion fear is like oh I can't look at it I don't want to I don't want to see that I don't want to go into that scary room and curiosity is I'm going to look into the room and it doesn't mean the room is going to be perfect or even safe but um, it's that sense of you can't if you're really curious about something you're not going to be as afraid of it Mm -hmm. and you're going to be able to at least sort of turn and and look at it and um, that I, I think I have a sort of naturally like aversive temperament of mm-hmm. like, oh God, I just don't want to look at it. You know, I just, <laughs> um, and so it helps me to remember to be curious and uh, when I'm going into sort of uncertain situations. Are there any situations yeah. that you can think of where you were, you were avoiding it and then it was when you had, when you, um, you know, looked into the subject that it kind of lost its fear a little bit for you? Um. You know, actually, I, I mean, what we've been talking about a bit earlier, like the the sort of fertility journey mm-hmm. um, was like that for me, because for a long time I thought, oh, I really don't want to do in vitro fertilization. Like that seemed too mm-hmm. intense and scary. And um, and I just sort of had kind of crossed it out. Mm-hmm. But um, once I got to the place where I decided, how about let's start researching it and just sort of see what what it is and maybe talk to people who've gone through it. It, it really did change my attitude towards it because I was sort of able to look at it. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think that's great advice. And I love the idea of curiosity penetrating fear. Yeah, and it, like a wall or yeah. something of fear. And Yeah. Yeah. Your sixth piece of advice, uh, it links actually back to what you were saying earlier with Virginia Woolf, but it's compare and despair. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess the advice isn't necessarily to do that, but it's more of like a little mantra. Like yeah. if you or comparing yourself, you're going to find some despair. You know, there's yeah. always going to be, uh, you know, looking at someone else's life or um, that is going to cause some sort of um, in <laughs> like dissatisfaction. Um, and I think this in terms of uh, especially, you know, with like parenting or, um, you know, just sort of being an adult in the mm. world, it, it is really it's, it's almost like what I remind myself when I catch myself being like, oh, you know, that woman at the park seems to have 
have everything together and yeah. like she seems so calm and like I've, you know her children are so well behaved and then I'll just say okay Lainey compare and despair mm. you know and it's 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 that little kind of catchphrase that sort of shoots me back into the reality of of my own life yeah you know? helpful to have that with you yeah um motherhood seems to be the ultimate place for judgment yeah. and comparison why do you yeah. think that is I don't know and it, it's just it's so terrible I mean mm. I think um Again, I can only speak to the U.S. where I live, but there there is that kind of vein of um, like competitive parenting that and the the humble it's very brag. Similar and, here, yeah. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Especially social yeah. media makes it so much worse as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you have these carefully curated shots of someone's you know the food they're preparing. I'm like, yeah. I can't make that. Like, no. <laughs> even if I spent three hours, I couldn't make that, and I only have 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah. It, it it really is that that question of like the surface, you know, mm. and looking at other people's surfaces versus what's underneath. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, it is strange because anyone I know who's a parent sort of bemoans that that dynamic, mm. but, and yet it continues. And yet we yeah. must all be doing it to each other as well, yeah. do you know? What, yeah. 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 Really strange. We could we should declare like a day off, you know? Yeah. Like a, no more. <laughs> at like least one day. <laughs> compar- competitive parenting. Day, yeah. You know? We like to finish on a piece of bad advice. Now, people always say that's very negative, but it's not. It's it's about recognizing that people love to throw advice at you. And you know what? It's not always for you sometimes. Yes. So tell us about a piece of bad advice that you've hopefully chosen to ignore. Well, um, so, yeah, I remember a time I, I was around 12, um, 12 years old, and my mother was talking to me about my weight and, you know, that I needed to lose weight and, and go on a diet. And she framed it as, you know, you should lose weight or you need to lose weight so that when, you know, you'll have uh, a better choice or more choice of, of boys to, to mm. date. Right. And um, at the time, you know, it sounded logical. Like I kind of succumbed to that, that reasoning. But in retrospect, I'm just thinking like, man, like <laughs> not only <laughs> was there this pressure to sort of have, my body look a certain way, but it was in the service of, you know, so, so that I could gain the attention of like more boys, you know? And, and again, my mother, um, I love her so much and we have a really great relationship now. Um, and I don't think she would give me that advice now, but, but back in the day, there was that sort of sense of Mm. you need to conform to something that's acceptable. And I just, you know, to, to any, anyone of any gender who's 12 or you know 22 or 82 like I I would just it's just terrible advice for anyone you know to think of something in that way Mm -hmm. so um yes I'm hopefully like in my own life like not not ever unconsciously like giving that yeah that advice to anyone yeah you know is it hard now you're a mother thinking about the ramification because you know at the time your mum might have thought I'll just no I didn't even thought about talking saying that to you you know do you is it do you have to catch yourself constantly about thinking okay what are the ramifications of what I'm saying to my son I do actually yeah and I try and you know there's always going to be you know I'll I'll regret like oh why did I like yell at him today Mm -hmm. or why you know um but because I can still remember so keenly those moments when my parents would, you know, had, had said things. I, I do actually try to be a little more mm-hmm. mindful, um, particularly when it comes to, um, you know, giving, saying, to, telling him to do something so that other people are going to 
accept it or be more comfortable, you know? I mean, because to some degree, we have to all do that. You know, mm-hmm. we live in society. We, or, you know, we're going to put clothes on when we go outside and, you know, um, have manners and stuff. But it's it's also not about, like, pleasing other people, it, mm-hmm. um, but more like living in community with other people. So I try to remember that. I'm not always successful. But, and that's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Uh, what are you working mm-hmm. on now, Lainey? Do you talk about projects when you're working on them already um a little I mean I'm yeah I'm working on a new novel and um it it, it's still really early and messy but one thing I'm excited about is it's it's really intergenerational like there's people of main characters of all you know ages ranging from like 88 to Mm -hmm. 8 um and that's a little newer for me Mm -hmm. you know I, I think in my in my first three books, I've I haven't had quite as much of that range um, and that sort of um, the interesting frictions that happen when people from really different generations live in a in close quarters. And so, yeah, interesting. And do you take characters from your day to day life or your friends and family when they know you're writing? Do they stop talking to you? For oh a bit? <laughs> no, I mean, I'll I might take a quality or a maybe something someone said but I never do a kind of whole cloth uh, yeah. character that would be really frightening yeah. to to have that person read the book and <laughs> yeah this is what I think about you exactly yeah. Yeah. <laughs> terrifying yeah. Lenny thank you so much for taking the time for talking to us today thank you so much for having me Thank you so much to Lainey. As I said, she speaks so beautifully about things all of us can relate to. And I just really enjoyed having her on the show. We hope you did too. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please subscribe, rate us, review us. It really, really helps spread the word and we really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you next week for more advice from women worth listening to. 